Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Solo Hunter here. I embarked on a solo trip into the Rocky Mountains of Colorado to hunt for mule deer. I scout and spend a lot of time in my unit, so I'm quite comfortable with it. August rolls around, and bow season opens. So, I head out there on opening day, set up camp, go hunting, etc. I return to my tent just before dark and notice the smell of cigarettes, odd. I brush it off, thinking it might be another hunting camp nearby, and proceed to start my fire and relax. The next morning, I wake up to find a cigarette butt on the log I had been using as a chair near the fire, just outside my tent. I brought an electric fence with me, usually used for grizzly areas, but my unit is heavy with lions, and I typically use it as a perimeter if I need to leave a dead animal out overnight or meet in a tree, and set it up for the next day. I follow my routine of hunting, returning to camp, starting a fire, relaxing, and eventually falling asleep. However, sometime in the middle of the night, I am abruptly awoken by a scream or cursing, someone had walked into my electrified fence. I grab my G17 and run out of my tent as fast as I can to the sound of someone crashing through the trees. I pursue the sound for a while because I'm not about to let someone scare me out of my week of hunting, which I cherish deeply. I fire a few rounds into the air, and it's followed by nothing but silence. The next morning, I investigate around my campsite and find a stash of 15 to 20 cigarette butts within 30 yards of camp, footprints, and what looks like a urine bottle. I decide to sleep in my bivy outside of my camp. I leave my tent up, thinking I may be able to catch the person if they come back and believe I'm still in camp. They never do. No more nonsense. No deer and unfortunately another year of store-bought factory farmed meat. What's odd is, I was way out there. My camp was six miles from the nearest road. It's possible someone had seen me scouting my area and slowly building my camp in the off-season and wanted it for themselves. Wasn't quite bad enough to keep me out of the woods but definitely sent me home the day it happened. Several years ago I was deer hunting in a very remote section of a national forest in northern Wisconsin and had a very weird experience that spooked me pretty good. I was hunting from a ladder stand about 20 feet off the ground. It was late morning on a cloudy, dead calm, no wind day. All of a sudden I heard what sounded like a whooshing sound right over my head. It startled me cause I didn't see anything to go along with the whooshing sound. The only way I can describe it is that it was the sound you would expect to hear if a large bird, like eagle or hawk-sized, flew 5 to 10 feet over your head. Not wings flapping but just just like a whooshing or swooping sound. 
It was weird because I've spent a lot of time in the woods over many years to know that large birds don't often fly close to people much less right over your head unless it's like a seagull at the beach or something. Big birds in the woods sure as hell don't fly toward humans often, at least not in my experience. Anyway, at this point I just assumed that the sound must have been a bird of some type and I must have just looked up too late to see it. Whatever. Back to deer hunting. Then about 10 minutes later it happened again, but this time I actually saw a shadow on the ground moving towards me before I heard the sound. The shadow was somewhat faint but it definitely looked like the shadow of a bird so I thought for sure I would see the bird this time. I looked up in the air above the shadow and then just as it got to me I heard and felt the whooshing again, this time even closer than before. It actually made me flinch and duck my head like something big had just barely missed my head from above, I didn't see anything despite wildly swinging and swiveling my head up, around and behind me to try and catch whatever just dive-bombed me. So now in my head I'm thinking there's no question that a big-ass bird of some type definitely just flew it or right over my head twice, but somehow I missed seeing it both times. Thoughts racing through my mind. This thing is some kind of stealthy MF bird. Why the hell is a bird swooping on me? Am I near its nest or something and it's trying to warn me off? It's late fall or early winter. I should clarify at this point in case people don't know what a ladder stand is that I am in a wide open metal chair with an 18 feet ladder attached to it, leaning up against a tree with my back against the trunk. There are very few branches above me, and only a few below me. The point is my vision wasn't obscured in any way above or below me and I'm surrounded by leafless trees, so the chances of a large bird being able to come at me and swoop on me without being seen coming or going is zero. Zero. I wasn't really scared yet at this point. Just confused as hell. I started rationalizing maybe it was an owl. I've heard they can be super quiet when they fly. Maybe he came from a different angle than the sound and shadow suggested and I just missed him. But why couldn't I even catch a backside view after it swooped past though? This was an invisible bird. The story doesn't get any different or more dramatic from here other than the same thing happened maybe 4 to 5 more times over the course of about an hour, including the shadow on the ground. Each time it comes at me from a different angle and each time it seems to graze just barely above my head. I'm not gonna lie, I eventually started freaking out inside because the only two plausible explanations at that moment were that I was either being harassed by an actual invisible bird or I was losing my marbles alone in the woods. I was genuinely leaning toward the ladder to be honest. Packed up my gear, climbed down and headed back to camp. The next day I took my stand down and moved it about a half mile away. Never heard or saw the invisible bird again but it stuck with me for years afterwards. Still does. When I was just learning to hunt, there was an incident that forever etched a peculiar fear of deer into the core of my being. It happened during one of those early outings with my cousin, a seasoned hunter who had taken me under his wing to impart the skills and secrets of the trade. We were deep in the woods, the air crisp with the scent of pine and anticipation. The day was drawing to a close when my cousin expertly aimed and fired, bringing down a magnificent buck. 
The echo of the shot lingered in the air as we approached the fallen creature. Its majestic antlers sprawled across the forest floor, a testament to the wild beauty we had just conquered. As we started pulling the buck out of a ditch, something in my gut twisted. An uneasy feeling clawed at me, and I distinctly remember voicing my concern, Hey guys, I think that thing is alive. The others chuckled at what they thought was a novice hunter's nervous imagination. Little did we know, my gut feeling was eerily accurate. Before our startled eyes, the supposedly lifeless buck sprang back to a startling vitality. Panic ensued as the creature, now far from dead, thrashed wildly. In the chaos that ensued, the once docile animal turned into a furious force of nature. In a flash, it gored my cousin with a swift, unexpected movement that left us all dumbfounded. The buck, as if fueled by a last surge of energy, made its escape to the top of the hill before collapsing in its final moments of life. We stood there, a mixture of shock and adrenaline coursing through our veins. My cousin, fortunately, was okay, but the incident left an indelible mark on my psyche. From that day forward, a peculiar fear of deer gripped me whenever I ventured into the wilderness. The sight of those graceful creatures took on a different meaning, and the tranquility of the forest seemed tinged with an underlying tension. To cope with my newfound trepidation, I adopted a new hunting mantra, one shot wasn't enough. Each time I aimed at a deer, I made sure to fire one more time before daring to approach and tag my prey. It became a ritual, a self-imposed insurance policy against the unexpected. As the years passed, the incident faded into the annals of memory, but the fear endured. My approach to hunting became a delicate dance between respect for the wild and a persistent wariness that lingered in the shadow of that fateful day. In the woods, I found solace in the rhythmic cadence of my shots, a self-imposed safeguard against the unexpected resurgence of life in the silent depths of the forest. This is not a hunting story but definitely involves the woods and a horrifying experience. This happened to my mom, my stepdad, and my baby sisters. This was about 17 years ago and I was not present for it, as I was at my dad's house for the weekend. But, according to my mom, they were all driving back from Strawberry, Arizona, which is a gorgeous little forest town up near the Mogul Lone Rim. Dense, beautiful forest everywhere. As they're driving through the woods out of the town and down the mountain to head back to Phoenix, my mom says she sees headlights coming up behind them and coming up quick. She doesn't initially think anything of it until the car decides not to pass them and starts tailing them feverishly. She says they tried to drive faster and he would speed up. They'd switch lanes, he would follow them, tailing them all the while. So, my stepdad, possibly not being the most efficient in a scenario of great stress, decides to test the theory on whether or not this guy is actually following them by turning off onto a dirt road that led deeper into the dense forest. He said the road was definitely a clear path and that it was obvious it was a road but that it was still covered with fairly good-sized rocks that made for an incredibly bumpy ride. So, he turns off onto the dirt road. The guy follows him. At this point, my dad realizes he may have messed up big time and should have stayed on the main, big, paved road down the mountain. 
My sisters were asleep and, at this point, are awake, bobbing down the road, heads flying everywhere because they were only about four at the time, their twins, mom freaking out, and dad driving at lightning speed deep into the woods. My mom says they were going far, far faster than that road allowed for and were afraid tires were going to start popping because of the rocks. The guy is behind them still, tailing them the entire way. From what I remember of the story, I believe the dirt road came to a dead end, probably because it ended at someone's property. If I'm remember correctly, this is when shit went from oh, shit, to we're gonna die. But, luckily, my stepdad weaved in between some trees to make a U-turn, possibly the fastest U-turn ever, and raced back down the dirt road and out onto the main street. I can't remember if the guy tailing them never exited the woods to follow them or if he did but drove off into the night on the main road. Either way, I was really scared for my family when they told me that story but also glad I wasn't there. But, at the same time, I felt guilty I wasn't there, even though I know I couldn't have done anything to help them as a 9 or 10 year old kid. I was just glad they got home safe. I was sitting in a tree stand one night and had a buddy about one kilometer down the trail from me. I was at the end of the trail, he was close to the beginning, near the road. We knew if we spoke loud enough we could hear each other, but we didn't need to yell. We tried this during off-season to be sure. Anyways back to the story. These two tree stands are one way in one way out. No other trails and we knew his property like the back of our hands. No neighbors for miles around us. Windy day turned into a creepy sunset, twilight came and all of a sudden everything just stopped on a dime. Super quiet nothing was moving. Dead still. Then all of a sudden I heard two young girls giggling and singing kids songs. Kinda like la 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 etc. Lasted about 20 minutes. Sounded like they were right over by my friend's stand. When it got dark I started to walk back when I passed his stand and he was gone already. Met him back at the truck and asked him if he heard the singing. He said nope it's been way too windy all day. I then realized the wind was still howling around us. So how did it go quiet where I was sitting and I heard kids giggling. Still creeps me out. Not hunting but hiking through the Appalachian Mountains after a fresh snow with a friend who owned the land. We come around a bend in a holler and my friend stops dead in his tracks. I look up and around 40 yard up the hill look like a mound of pitch black coal. But coal doesn't have yellow eyes. Coal doesn't have ears that fold back and tail that begins to twitch. We both start slowly backing away, keeping our eyes fixed on Black Panther. One of us lead the way back down the trail while the other walked backwards to keep watch, switching places every so often. The next morning, we went outside my friend's house and there were cat prints larger than my fist in the snow all around his house. We had been followed back. I've been told my whole life that there are no such animals in those mountains, by all sorts of environmental specialists and scientists, but we both saw it and my friend's entire family saw the tracks the next morning. My brother and I were driving up Anthony Lake Highway, 
on our way home. Half mile from our house, and several others. Sasquatch was standing in a field, not even 35 yards away. I skidded to a stop, screaming, look at that. Look, can you see it? Ray yelled, hell yeah, I see it. It just stood there, looking at us. But I could tell by body language and expressions, it was a surprise to see us as we were to see it. We knew it was real. We drove half a mile home, grabbed the camera and rifles, and went back, but it was gone. It was farmland with only one line of trees. It had to be right there, but we were afraid to go find it, even though we both had high-powered rifles. We probably sat there for a good five minutes. It was only 30 or 35 yards away, in a field with no brush or anything to hide behind. I was sitting on the window ledge of the door, looking over the top of the car, screaming to Ray, look, look. It stayed right there, looking at us. You could just tell it was as surprised as we were, probably never having seen a human before. We hauled ass home to get the camera, and it was gone when we got back not 5 or 10 minutes later. It could have gone up a tree line dividing two fields, not thick trees either, they were in a straight line several feet apart. Or it could have gone through a culvert pipe under the road. We were still so freaked that we wouldn't even get out of the car to look for tracks or find it. Not me, but my dad was sleeping in the back bed of his truck in the late 80s in the Sierra Nevada mountains. The whole day, he noticed the tracks around his camp. The dog was sleeping inside the cabin of the truck. He heard rustling near his truck. All of a sudden a mountain lion is peering over and looking at him lying there in his truck. His reaction is to yell super loud and it runs off into the woods. My dad and brother have tons of stories from camping and hunting through the years. In early fall of 1980, my buddy and I were backpacking in the Three Sisters Wilderness and camped at Horse Lake. The outlet stream emptied into a ravine on the opposite side of the lake, 200 yards away. There were no other campers on the lake that night. At approximately 11.30 pm, we were awakened by a howling, which we estimated to be about a quarter mile down the ravine, lasting about 3 to 5 seconds, then silence. We jumped out of the tent and heard the howling repeated every couple of minutes, getting closer to the lake each time. The only thing I can compare the sound to is the metallic screeching of a freight train's brakes applied at full speed, complete with Doppler shift from a higher frequency to lower. The nearest train tracks are in La Pine, 25 miles distant, the howling stopped at the lake outlet for perhaps 5 to 10 minutes. We shined our flashlights across the lake but caught nothing. Finally, the howling occurred in the same pattern as before, this time receding back down the ravine. We detected no unusual smell. I have spent years hiking, camping, and backpacking in the Pacific Northwest forests and know the calls of elk, coyotes, owls, cats, etc., and this howling sounded like nothing I had ever heard. When I was 11 me and my dad went out to go hunting not necessarily hunting just to like shoot our guns and stuff. 
We are out there for about an hour until we started hearing something looks like screaming like human screaming mixed with a donkey. We went to see what it was it was a couple of meters away from us. It turned out to be a deer with tumors all over it it had CWD was walking in circles that had foam from the mouth he'll only approach to start walking towards us but then circled back around and kept on walking in circles. That scared me the point where I've never been in those mountains again. I was 14 years old and lived in central Louisiana, at the time. My mother had always been interested in the paranormal. She'd buy copies of UFO magazine and watch documentaries on Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, etc. So, I just grew up being interested in things like that, at face value. I always believed in them, but I never had any inkling that werewolves, dogmen or whatever could possibly exist. Anyway, I lived in a mobile home park, which was on a two-lane highway. Highway 28 East, to be exact. It was a long street, with a cul-de-sac type of dead end. At the dead end, to the left was the only brick home in the park. Straight ahead, was thin woods and several trails going off in every direction. To the right, slightly, was a deep ditch, that people had dumped junk and trash in, like old washing machines, broken laundry baskets or what have you. A thin, metal wire fence ran from the ditch, across, into the woods and out of sight. We, the kids in the neighborhood, had what we called a club, where we would all gather, to hang out. Some of us had gathered busted or discarded dining room chairs and placed them in the center of what was the thinnest area of trees. I had come there to figure out where to put everything. Beyond the deep ditch, Further into the woods, was a small stream, with hills on each side. An enormous old oak tree had fallen beside the stream, on the side I was on. I spotted an old metal folding table, near the stream and went down to inspect it. I thought it would be a good item to put in the center of the chairs. It seemed to be in good condition, so I decided to head home. I figured I'd get it the next morning. The next morning, I made my way toward the metal wire fence, which somehow, I don't know why, had been bent, on both its top and bottom, inwards, toward the center of the fence. I was about to duck under it, when I heard the distinct sound of sniffing, so I turned to see what it was. Standing on the other side of the stream was a seven to eight foot tall creature, sniffing the air. Its head was turned slightly. The first thought that entered my mind was, Oh my god. Werewolves are real. It stood on two, powerfully built, muscular legs, which ended in enormous paws. It had no tail. It had a massive chest, as well as extremely muscular arms and hands. The hands seemed to have the same kind of pads that a paw has, but they were arranged differently. It had a wolf-like head and tall, pointed ears. The eyes glowed red. The ears were in proportion to the head. It had a snout or muzzle. It kept sniffing the air as it stepped over the tree trunk like it was nothing. I would have had to physically climb it, to get over it. I thought it was coming after me. It stopped and seemed to be breathing or panting, but there was this deep, rumble that accompanied it. I decided to get out of there, before it did see me and ducked up under the fence. I ran to my bike which was parked off the road and pedaled my butt home. 
I never went into those woods again, after that. About a month and a half, to two months later, we moved to Mississippi. It wasn't until many years later that I discovered the term, dogman. It scared me, but also started me on my fascination with ancient myths, legends, werewolves and many other non-Bigfoot cryptids. Not the woods but underwater. I went on a late evening spearfishing dive. We were in the Sea of Cortez just out of La Paz, Mexico. I was with my uncle who wanted to hunt the small squids. Well, to say the least those squids were not small. They were Humboldt squid which are around 4 feet long. When you dive in the dark once you're a couple feet down all you can see is the beam of light coming off your flashlight. Well these suckers were attracted to the light. You can hear them first as a whooshing sound as they pass near you. Then you'll see this massive eye reflect in your light beam as they curiously swim through your light. I watched as like four or five of these things started circling us, honestly I didn't know how many there were because of the darkness. Then one got so close it grazed me. That was it for me. I surfaced and got back in the boat. The next morning we were talking to the owner of the hotel we were at. He told us we were lucky we survived and that the squid attack people regularly. Definitely one of the more terrifying moments of my life. I was out of my grandparents' house hunting coyotes, as usual, this time of year. It was April, and I was hiking through my next-door neighbor's land to get to the wood-covered area in the back. While I was hiking, I got the feeling I was being followed by something to my right. I stopped switched the red tin on my headlamp to my spotlight, but didn't see anything. Then, I switched back to my headlamp, pulled my rifle back up, and continued my hike. It was 6.15 am, and the sun was just coming up. I was sitting in a hide I had made the day before when I saw something behind a group of trees on my left. It was crouched. I raised my rifle, looked through my scope, and froze when I saw the creature staring back at me. I panicked and fired a shot off. That's when it stood up and took off deeper into the woods. I sat there for probably another 25 minutes before I decided it was safe to head in and did so. Later that day, I grabbed my grandfather, and we both went out to where I had seen this creature when it stood up on two legs and took off. We measured where I had seen it, and it was roughly seven and a half to eight feet tall. To this day, I'm terrified to go out at night or in the early morning hours. Never again. My dad was in some swamps in Florida when he says something swam by him. My dad has hunted and fished this area for years so I have a great deal of faith in his account. He describes it as a fish with skin and not scales, like a catfish. But its tail was hard and it was way larger than a catfish. He said he never got a good shot on it but would have shot it and to this day believes that he saw a bull shark. Six howls echoed in the canyon. After attending to a matter in Austin during the day, I decided to camp out near a local state park and a private ranch that I won't name. The lady there was really nice, 
and I don't wish her any bad business. It was after dark, around 6.30 p.m. Last Friday, November 18, 2016, when I was invited to explore and set up camp anywhere on the property. I went to the most isolated part in the very back, near a creek. Once in the area, I heard screams made by people, approximately two males and one or two females. At first, I thought to myself, damn, I'm going to have to hear these drunks yell all night as they blast off their primal scream therapy routine. They had set a campfire below next to the creek. I was about 150 yards away, high up near the ledge. The creek ran about 10 yards below me, and I caught a glimpse of their fire, but not of the people, only quick shadows passing by the flames. It was odd, but I did not think much of it at the time. I proceeded to return to my area where I had parked my car and gathered firewood. I ignored the screams that these folks were making, yet I noticed that I never once heard talking, their voices commenting in normal language, just screams that kept getting more intense, strong, and longer in duration. Still, I did not think of it as being too weird. I kept about my business, trying to set up my camp and my tent in the dark. After struggling with flashlights, my mouth and knees scraped from laying out the bedding in the tent, I walked around, enjoying the open view of the sky. By now, the screams had turned to barking and howling. Earlier, during my wood-gathering forage, I heard someone walking in the darkness, and I assumed it to be a female person who probably had strayed from the perimeter to go to the bathroom. I spoke to the person in the dark, mentioning that I would be setting up camp in this upper area away from them. The person never answered, so I felt confident I had established a respectful territorial mark where I would not go near them, and they, in turn, would not come close to me. Nevertheless, I still did not think anything was weird up to that point. What began to worry me was when, about an hour later, as I was about to begin my fire and rest in my tent, three or four howls united into a very loud crescendo that got my attention. The barking now was more intense and deeper. At first, I thought that maybe these people were using dogs to fight each other, but it was not like that. In dogfights, you can listen to the dogs tearing into each other and the voices of the men cheering on. The barking seemed to be going on in one direction, as if the dogs or coyotes were competing to outdo each other with barks, wailing, and howling. As my mind tried to comprehend what was going on, Another possible scenario appeared to my reasoning capability. Maybe they had set up speakers and were playing a recording of barks and howls, but it made no sense. Once again, the barking deepened, and the howling became more fierce and louder. That's when I decided that I would not be able to sleep there at all. Besides, the sounds did not appear to be human-based from what I could tell. I collapsed the tent I had struggled to set up for almost an hour and left a stone ring and all the firewood, different lengths and thicknesses, stacked and ready. A sense of self-preservation came over me as I was alone, unarmed, except for a long, heavy machete I gripped with my right hand. Before leaving, I crept as far as I could to the ledge where earlier I had seen their campfire, but the barking and howling were too great. I crept up quietly in the defensive combat mode only 25 yards further. How I wished to have my tape recorder box with batteries so that my wife could hear what I was hearing. Like I said, 
I cannot go any deeper or closer to them because the things voicing out the barking and howling were not people. I never saw them, and I don't think I ever do. I'm from Alberta, Canada. Take this as you will and I promise you it's not a word of lies. I grew up with Bigfoot. I guess you could say growing up with them was no different than anything else, like deer, moose, elk, and bears. You get the drift. It was common to see one as any other animal. I'm not crazy. I'm a 31-year-old father of three boys, born and raised on a farm. I moved away now and owned a few successful businesses. I have no interest in lying to you or anyone else. I just want to tell people what I know and what my family knows. I believe you heard about Skinwalker Ranch in Utah? So our farm has often been called by many people who know it as the Canadian Skinwalker Ranch. We have lots of weird happenings almost daily, from UFOs and orbs to weird phenomena like apparitions and other interesting things. I actually have a podcast on Spotify called the Canadian Skinwalker Ranch where I explain a lot of the weird things that happen. I don't think growing up we really put too much thought on Bigfoot or what it was other than it was an undiscovered primate, as do many other people. My friends think I'm insane but I've heard so many true stories that I know this phenomenon is real. I've seen Bigfoot morph into a being or vanish into thin air. I remember when I was about 7 or 8 years old, my dad had an old camcorder and was filming my brother and me. At the time none of us noticed it but when we watched the footage afterward he had, in fact, filmed a Bigfoot walking behind us. I was 12 looking for bottles down in the woods cause I collect them and I hear heavy footsteps behind me. I turn around to be face to face with a fully grown breeding bull aka the most aggressive animal you can have. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. On a barnyard, I ran, tumbled, down that hillside like my life depended on it, which it kind of did. Only a few days later did I learn my neighbor only castrated it a week prior because he was getting too old. I know the cow because I've seen it when I go down to my neighbor's pond to fish as a kid. It somehow got out and wandered to the hillside. Peace. Castration makes bulls less aggressive so it was about as harmless as a pumpkin at that point.
I'm from Sarasota and when I was younger I lived in Parrish, Florida, just northeast of there. We lived off Rye Road, back in the early 90s. My mom and I saw two solid black dogmen run out before us. I will never forget because my mom overreacted and jerked the wheel. Rye Road was a dirt road and our Jeep rolled over and did a 180. We were lucky to both be mostly unharmed minus bruising. After we crawled out I saw one of them looking at us about 40 feet away in the palmetto bushes. It took me a long time to figure out what we saw. We also used to have chickens disappear and make spooky noises deep in the woods behind our 10 acres. I've got other stories too but none of them were dangerous kind of encounters but just sightings, I guess. Not a hunter, but I was walking the woods of New Jersey last fall when I heard a rattling sound a few feet in front of me. Looked down and saw this three-foot rattlesnake, plop in the middle of the trail. He could not have been more in the middle of the trail. When you're walking in the woods in fall, that yellow and black pattern is just a bunch of leaves on the ground. Thank God they rattle, otherwise I think I'd be messed as I was two plus hours from any road. Have a weird story I'd like to present for your consideration. There is no explanation as to what occurred, though I personally believe the supernatural was at play. It was the Christmas season in 1958. My parents and I lived in a small home in eastern Tennessee. We survived on what little money my mother could make doing odd jobs for other people in the area. My father was wounded during the Korean War, and he received a monthly pension from the government. I was eight years old at the time. After school, I would work around the house and help care for my father. I knew that money was tight and figured there wouldn't be any gift giving that year, but we made the best with what we had. A few days before Christmas Day, I was lying in bed and started hearing noises coming from outside my window. It sounded like children playing and laughing. I got out of bed and looked out the window. I noticed several blue lights bobbing about in my mother's garden. I went and woke my mother. She got up and we walked out onto the porch. We both clearly witnessed the blue lights moving up and down above the garden. It was very cold, so we went back into the house and watched from my bedroom window. The lights were there for over an hour and continued moving about. We were very tired, so we both went back to sleep. In the morning, we sat at the table eating breakfast. My parents were discussing the blue lights. My father said that he heard of a similar occurrence when he was a boy. The deacon at his church commented to several of his congregation that he noticed blue lights outside the rectory one evening. His explanation was that these were angels watching over the church. The next few nights I watched for the lights, but they never returned. On Christmas Eve a few family friends stopped by the house during the day to wish us happy holidays. My friend Larry came over also. We listened to the radio for most of the afternoon. Neither one of us had ever had a television in our home. I mentioned that it would be nice to have one, but I knew that we could never afford it. I told Larry about the blue lights and the story that my father had told me. Larry said that his Uncle Joe told him the same story about the blue lights outside the church rectory, so I figured that must have happened. 
Larry also said that his uncle Joe mentioned that there were little people with big heads and large eyes who lived in the mountains. I asked Larry if his uncle Joe had ever seen these little people. Larry said that he didn't think so. That evening my parents and I were sitting in the front room when we heard what sounded like footsteps on the porch. My father went to investigate, but he didn't see anything unusual. I then told them what Larry's uncle Joe had told him. My father just smiled and said that old Joe told a lot of good stories though most were just not true. My father then said that he remembered a story that old Joe told him one day. My father said that old Joe told him that the little people of the mountain would bring gifts to folks they liked. He said that old Joe thought that the little people were really aliens because he had seen lights fly off the mountain at night. I prodded my father to tell me more, but he said old Joe told too many stories that were flat out lies. It was about 10 p.m. so I was sent off to bed since we were going to church on Christmas morning. I woke in the middle of the night to get a drink of water. I didn't notice the time, but I believe it was around 1 a.m. or so. I walked out of my room and into the hallway. I noticed that same giggling and laughter I had heard the night I witnessed the blue lights. The sound was coming from the front room. I slowly walked down the hallway and peered around the corner. There was nothing there, but I did see a square shape on the floor by the bookshelf. I turned on the room light. It was a brand new television set, a Motorola. I remember letting out a scream and hearing my mother running down the hallway. She saw me standing in front of the bookshelf, not knowing what was going on. Then she noticed the television. I can still remember the strange look on her face. She turned and ran back into her bedroom yelling all the way. I could hear her asking about the television, while my father answered, what television? We sat in the front room just staring at the television, occasionally looking at each other. We never figured out how it got there. I'd like to think it was the little people in the mountain. In fact, that's what old Joe told everybody who'd listen. I grew up in the mountains of western North Carolina. We were one of only three houses on our road. Incredibly isolated with woods all around. Me and my best friend were hanging out goofing off after dark. We'd spent a ton of time in the woods so we'd encountered animals on many occasions, mostly we saw only deer, possums, and raccoons. On this night we were probably 100 yards or so from my house slowly walking back when suddenly a sound erupted from the ridge above us maybe 50 yards away. The only way I can describe it is a lit of screaming or screeching. Scared the shit out of us and we booked it for home. That's the night that I discovered we had a pack of coyotes hanging out near the house. I was sleeping on the couch at my parents' house in Fort Lupton, Colorado, I was 20 years old, May 31, 1986, when I noticed the light outside the window behind the couch. I looked out the window and approximately 200 feet from the window on the open grass on a concrete basketball court. I saw approximately 4 feet off the ground a bright white light which I later decided was a rip in space, the only way I can describe it. This bright light or hole was probably only 3 or 4 feet in diameter. I saw 3 to 5 aliens or whatever you want to call them exit out of the hole. 
Somehow I knew that they were going to come over to where I was and this terrified me. I did not actually see them walk from a basketball court and over the lawn to the window, which was approximately a foot and a half from my body. So, it's the couch between me and the window. On the outside of the window, I remember three of the grey aliens were staring down at me. I tried to move but my entire body was not responding and I was frozen. Frozen's probably the wrong word, it was like I was a quadriplegic or something. The only thing that I could move was my eyelids and my eyes so I could look over and see them staring down at me. Their faces were approximately three feet at the most away from mine, still looking through the window directly into my face. I was fully awake and this continued for I'm guessing somewhere between 15 minutes and half an hour. I know that seems like a big variance for one who is describing something that occurred when they were completely awake but it was a terrifying experience and I suspect a minute may have lasted in my mind forever. Subsequently, I discovered that people had sleep paralysis and described something similar to this. However, this was not sleep paralysis. I was wide awake and aware and I knew what I saw so the paralysis started sometime after I saw them come out of the light or the basketball court and I was lying back on the couch. At some point, they paralyzed me. They seemed to enjoy it and I seemed to be either reading their thoughts or something to know that, or more correctly, they communicated that to me without speech. Other than staring at me I don't know what else they were trying to accomplish. During this encounter, I was struggling with all of my might to try to move even one little finger. I could feel my body all over. I could not move it. I tried and I tried to try and fight them to get away from them. I would have gone down the hallway to my room and picked out my 24-3 to blow them away if I could, but I could not move. Then they left. I did not see how they exited but I imagine it was the same hole. I have the distinct feeling that this has happened several times and may happen again but that was the only incident that I remember. Possibly I remember them when I was 5 years old in Missoula, Montana. But that could be just a bad dream. I did tell some family members and a couple of friends about it, but I described it as the worst bad dream ever. I'm letting you know it was never a dream. I was wide awake and aware. Now approximately 30 years later I have the guts to at least report this to you in hopes it may help somebody or you guys with your research. I am mentally stable I have managed millions of acres of federal land as the primary land officer. I am a GS 13 30 year federal employee with a staff of 30. I'm not some nutcase and I'm scientifically trained. I have had no mental issues no drug issues and I have a very long and responsible career and family life and I'm letting you know this actually happened. There was one time I experienced some kind of time slip and it always kind of bothered me. It was in 2011 when I was deployed in Iraq. I was an M2 gunner on AMRAP and on one mission our convoy was going from FOB Merez in Mosul to JBB, Anaconda, in Balad which was about 6 to 12 hours away, depending on if we encountered IEDs or the enemy. About half through the mission we were passing Tyrecrit and the sun was rising around 6. Then in an instant we were pulling up to the main gate at JBB and it was 13. I was shocked and confused for a second then I asked the driver if I was awake and alert the whole time. 
He said that I was BSing with him and the other people on our convoy like normal. He was a little confused and asked why I asked and I just told him no reason. It was like I blacked out the whole time or something and I have no memory of the second half of that mission at all. It was like I teleported from Tyrecrit to Balad in an instant. I always thought it was a weird incident because it was usually quiet in Tyrecrit and I just remember feeling like being jolted back to reality by all the noise from the MRAP, traffic, and people taking over the radio at JBB. I didn't think much of it at the time but it was always weird to me since I have never experienced anything like that before or since then. This is going to be a breakdown of the most terrifying encounters I've had with the paranormal. I don't recall having any encounters until I turned 5 years old. My mom and my dad had just divorced, and I went to live with my mom, older brother and older sister in an apartment complex. Not too long after we moved in, some freaky stuff would happen. Creaking floorboards above me, loud thumps and bangs, hearing voices having a conversation seeing things out the corners of my eyes, but I always chalked it up to being my sister or brother being loud upstairs. Well about two years later, I'm seven years old and my brother and sister are out of the house, my mom is asleep on the couch downstairs. I wake up because I'm thirsty so I'm going to walk into the kitchen to get a glass of water. As I'm about to round the corner into the kitchen, on the bar that separates the dining room from the kitchen, I see a reflection of a woman standing at the corner I was about to go around in the fish tank we had. She was standing there, completely motionless. Pale skin, sunken in eyes, just staring at the fish tank looking at me in the reflection. I completely froze in fear because there was a stranger in my house. After a moment, I snapped out of it and ran and practically jumped onto my mom to wake her up. She jumped up off the couch and ran into the kitchen. When she comes back she looks at me and says nobody is in the kitchen. I swore to her that someone was there but she didn't believe me. I had a few more similar encounters with this pale woman before they kinda stopped. All very similar encounters so that's nothing to write home about, you get used to it after a while. Fast forward a few years, I'm now 12 or 13 years old. I now have my own room upstairs since my brother and sister moved out by this point. I was always scared to sleep in my own room because I used to be afraid of the dark. So I was pretty excited to be able to have some privacy. One night my mom has to work late at her job, so she calls me and tells me to not answer the door for anyone and that she'll be a little late getting home. While I'm having a super fun time being alone, it made me feel like an adult. I was just going around the house playing around and stuff without a care in the world. I guess I had got bored with being alone so I started my way up the stairs. So I flicked the light on and got about halfway up when I got this overwhelming sense that something was behind me. The hair stood up on the back of my neck and my heart started pounding out of my chest. I gathered the courage to sprint up the stairs and as took off up the stairs I heard what sounded like heavy work boots stomping up the stairs behind me. I got to the top and ran into my room slammed and locked the door. This is when the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me occurs. The door starts shaking, violently. It almost felt like I was in the middle of a tornado with how hard the door was shaking. 
Then the shaking turned into something slamming into it like a battering ram. At this point I am in the furthest corner of the room trying to stay away from whatever is outside my bedroom door. This goes on for hours. That's not an exaggeration. It felt like torture. After it finally died down, I slowly stood up and walked over to the door and with one fast movement I unlocked and slung the door open. There were dents and dings in the front side of the door but nobody was there. The door strike plate was dented and scratched from the deadbolt slamming into it. The door still doesn't fully lock, if you twist the handle and push, the door will pop open because of the damage that happened too. It. This was the first time I ever felt like I was in serious danger, and once again I told my mom and she didn't believe me. I am a grown man now, and I still tremble when I tell this story. It has been many years since I have had any scary encounters, nothing to me is very scary anymore after being trapped in my room with something on the other side of the door, but I still have the run-of-the-mill stuff. Seeing things out of the corners of my eyes, hearing loud bangs and thumping, I occasionally hear knocks and taps, and sometimes I see a figure at the corner of my bed or in the corner of dark rooms. My girlfriend has even said when I would be away from home at work, she would hear my voice calling out to her. I moved into another place across the county and it's like it followed me. Doing the exact same things it always has. I stayed in that place for three years but ended up having to move back into my childhood apartment to help take care of my mother. I would tell some stories about the other place I lived in for three years as I had some wild experiences there too, but I don't want to make this too long. Things are slowly starting to ramp up again and now I'm just waiting for the boiling point. I've never done anything to provoke it, it knows I'm scared of it, anytime it does anything now I just go sit out in my car and smoke a cigarette to calm down. My mom has finally, after years of not believing me, said she now believes. The three years I was gone she had some encounters where she forgot I moved out because she would hear banging and loud talking upstairs, but she never told me if she had any scary encounters. I'm hoping things just stay at a minimum, but we'll see I guess. Anyways that's been my most terrifying encounters so far, thanks for reading, it helped me get some of this off my chest by writing this out and posting it. So I'm walking the trail in my local park, as I had done every other day that week, when a man starts walking next to me. I'm a little startled because I had my headphones in, stupid, I know, but I took them out and said good morning. Maybe I shouldn't have done that? But everyone in that park greets each other. While in Rome, right? I don't know. Anyway, he asks how I am, I say fine, then silence. A normal human interaction, TM. Then, after about 10 seconds of silence and him walking next to me, which feels intentional at this point, he starts asking more questions. My alarm bells are now at 1. So. You come here often? A. Sometimes. It's a nice walk. You live nearby? Alarm bell is at a 2 now nah, not too close. Like. Am I supposed to answer that truthfully? Oh, okay. You live alone? Alarm bell level 5 oh no no, I got way too many people in my house, thankfully true but again, how does he want me to answer that? Ah. Sue. 
Anything, like, bad or crazy ever happen here? Oh okay so I'm gonna die right now. Okay oh no, they keep a really good eye on this place. Thank you brain good girl oh my god yeah? Cool. Then he asks if he can give me a massage sometime. Claims it's a side buisness. I somehow managed to give him a good no, again, thank you brain. Then he mutters something about having to get back to door dashing, you went for a walk in a park while on break from door dashing? Okay, then turns around and walks back to the entrance. I turn around a moment later and he is gone. I called my dad, my cousin, my bestie, let them all know where I was, what I was wearing, what he looked like, etc. Thankfully I got home and haven't had anything happen since. I live really close to that park and I was scared shitless for a week after this occurrence. NGL, I'm here purely for validation. I'm not crazy, right? Like that's straight up creepy. Right? Like I wanna believe this dude was just trying to shoot his shot and left once he knew he failed but like? BRO. Could not have been any creepier. Right? Either way I haven't been back to the park since. Which is stupid. I wanna walk in my own neighborhood, damn it. Hate people sometimes. But is the hate justified? So I just popped to the bakery to get some lunch. I live on the main street and it's two minutes away. As soon as I'm halfway down the street I spot these two guys sat on a bench together outside the bakery. Both looking shady as, and I've never seen them. It's a small town, everyone knows everyone, one of them is staring at me from the corner of my eye the whole time I'm walking down the street, it felt weird and I went into the bakery. They didn't have what I wanted but there's another branch around the corner, so I walked over and as I come out the bakery to cross the road, the two guys are now with a woman on the other side. As I cross the woman shouts oi excuse me. To me but I ignore her and cross the road. As I'm walking to the other bakery I notice they're behind me, so I go into the bakery and they stand outside waiting but not looking in. I felt like this confirmed they had picked me out for some reason. I took longer than needed and eventually they started walking off. I left the bakery and walked in the other direction home. I didn't see them again, but they must have spotted me and then given up or something. What was their intention do you think? I live in a small Cornish town in the UK full of mostly elderly people. These guys weren't from my town I'm certain. Thoughts? I never thought hashtag wedding season would turn into a nightmare. But that's what happened when I attended my cousin's hashtag summer camp themed ceremony. Let me tell you how it all went wrong. It was supposed to be a fun and casual event. The bride and groom had rented a campsite in the woods, complete with cabins, tents, and a bonfire. They invited about 50 guests, mostly family and close friends, to join them for a weekend of hashtag summer vibes and hashtag BBQ time. I arrived on Friday afternoon, along with my sister and her boyfriend. We checked in at the reception, where we were given wristbands and assigned to a cabin. The wristbands had our FID chips that tracked our location and activity. They also served as keys to the cabins and facilities. The receptionist explained that the wristbands were part of a game that the couple had planned for their guests. 
I thought it sounded like a fun idea. I love escape rooms and scavenger hunts, and I was looking forward to bonding with my relatives and meeting new people. The receptionist also said that there was a leaderboard that showed the progress and ranking of each team. The top three teams would get special rewards at the end of the game. I was curious about the rewards, but the receptionist wouldn't tell me. She said it was a surprise, and that we had to play the game to find out. She smiled and handed me a map of the campsite, along with a brochure that listed the rules and tips for the game. She wished me good luck and sent me on my way I met up with my sister and her boyfriend, who had already gotten their wristbands and cabin assignment. We decided to explore the campsite and see what clues and puzzles we could find. We also wanted to check out the other facilities, such as the pool, the cafeteria, and the bonfire area. The campsite was huge and well-maintained. There were signs and arrows that pointed to the different attractions and amenities. There were also QR codes that we could scan with our phones to get more information and hints. The game seemed to be well-designed and interactive. We had a blast finding and solving some of the clues and puzzles. They were challenging but not impossible, and they required a mix of logic, creativity, and teamwork. Some of them were hidden in plain sight, while others required us to search and explore. We felt like we were in a real-life adventure. We also met some of the other guests, who were also playing the game. They were friendly and cooperative, and we exchanged tips and compliments. We formed alliances and rivalries, and we checked the leaderboard to see how we were doing. We were in the top 10, and we were determined to Clevishire. By the time the sun set, we had solved about half of the clues and puzzles. We decided to take a break and join the others for dinner at the cafeteria. The food was delicious and plentiful, and the atmosphere was festive and cheerful. Everyone was having a great time, and we toasted to the happy couple after dinner, we headed to the bonfire area, where the bride and groom were waiting for us. They thanked us for coming and for playing the game. They said they were impressed by our enthusiasm and skills, and that they had a special announcement to make. They asked us to gather around the fire and listen carefully. They said that the game was not over yet. In fact, it was just getting started. They said that the clues and puzzles we had solved so far were only the easy ones. The real challenge was about to begin. They said that the game was not just a game. It was a test. A test of our loyalty, our morality, and our survival. They said that they had a dark secret. A secret that they had kept from everyone for years. A secret that they were ready to reveal. They said that they were not human. They were something else. Something ancient and evil. Something that fed on human flesh and blood. Something that had lured us here for a feast. They said that they had rigged the wristbands with explosives. If we tried to remove them or escape, they would blow up. They said that they had also locked the gates and jammed the signals. There was no way out, and no one would hear a scream. They said that they had one final clue for us. A clue that would decide our fate. They said that there was a hidden bunker somewhere in the campsite. A bunker that had enough space and supplies for one person. A bunker that was the only safe place from them and their hunger. They said that the clue to the bunker's location was in the brochure that they had given us that they had given us at the reception. They said that we had until sunrise to find the bunker and claim it. 
Only one of us could enter the bunker, and the rest would be their prey. They said that they would hunt us down one by one, and that they would enjoy every bite. They said that this was their wedding gift to us. A gift of terror and death. They laughed and threw the brochure into the fire. They said that the game was on, and that they wished us good luck. They said that they loved us, and that they would see us soon. Then they turned and ran into the woods, leaving us in shock and horror. My boyfriend said I could post this here to get it off my chest and see if y'all could help me figure out what happened. A couple of years ago, my boyfriend and I downloaded Life360 so we could know each other's exact location in case we needed to call the police to each other's location. I had a rough living situation. I moved in with my boyfriend and his mom right after I turned 18 into their apartment they've lived in since my boyfriend was a kid. About two months into me living there, my boyfriend's mom was taking him to work, and I got a notification that he left. Well, since I would be home alone for an hour, I decided to run myself a bubble bath to relax. A little bit later, I heard my boyfriend's footsteps coming up the stairs. He was the only one out of the three of us to wear heavy boots, so his footsteps were very distinct. Then I hear his voice call out to me while still walking up the steps, baby, I'm home. I was really confused because he had just left, and there was no way he could be home already. I picked up my phone to see if he had texted me that work was called off, but as I unlocked my phone, I got a notification that he had just pulled into work. I started freaking out and slowly got out of the tub, wrapping a towel around me, trying to listen out for whoever must have broken in. The footsteps started again, and my boyfriend's voice called out again, baby? The footsteps came right to the bathroom door and stopped. I stood there for God knows how long until I just ripped the door open, expecting the worst, but the hallway was empty. I checked all three rooms upstairs, but they were empty. I checked downstairs, but no one was there, and all the doors and windows were locked. We moved out a couple of months later, and whatever mimicked my boyfriend's voice and footsteps followed us to our new place and mimicked my voice to my boyfriend. Encounter with a killer on the bus. This seems like the right place to tell this story. It happened back in 2013. It was about 8-9 o'clock and I was on my way home from a pals, I was sat upstairs at the back of the bus. There was only me and one other person on the top floor of bus and he was sat near the front on the opposite side. When I got up to get of the bus and walked from the back towards the stairs he called me. Don't remember exactly how he asked but he was asking for a lighter. I walked up to him going through my pockets and told him I had matches and handed them to him. He took them of me and just stared at them for a good few of Seiko cons and then handed them back to me and said something along the line of don't worry. The time it took him to decide not to use them felt very strange, and the eye contact before and after just felt intense. I got walked down the stairs thinking WTF was up with that and got off the bus. I told a couple people how weird it felt and described what he was wearing. A zip-up black hoodie with a knock-off Hardy-style tiger on the chest. Fast forward about a week and there's a fatal stabbing on a bus in my city. 
a young girl on her way to school was stabbed to death on the top deck of a bus. Stabbings are pretty common in my city but a young girl being killed on her way to school that's big news anywhere. They show a photo of the suspect being arrested but you can only see the back of his hoodie. Straight away I think that's the exact same Ed Hardy knockoff and start wondering if it's the guy I had seen. When they released more photos of him from the front I knew it was him. The scary thing is it transpired he had recently been let out of a mental health facility, he hadn't been given any support and had been sleeping rough on buses. I've had many interactions with mentally ill people and dangerous individuals but this is one that stays with me. Even though the interaction was much it felt so strange. I always wonder if he was seeing how I reacted when he asked me hence why he didn't use the matches. Who know it's just a sad story really. RIP to the poor girl who was murdered. Her name was Christina Edkins she was 16 years old.